0: Is with us this morning. and We're going to be talking about the most powerful event that has ever happened in the history of mankind. Think about that. We're talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is powerful. And, you know, you've heard this taught before, and I'm just going to share with you how the resurrection The view and my understanding of the resurrection has gotten so much juicier and so much better over the last 10 years. I mean, I'm so excited to be able to share that revelation with you because Jesus didn't just raise from the dead for you. He rose from the dead with you. And your boss is ready to give you a raise today. I don't know. We got a good boss in heaven. How many of you know that? He's a good boss. And sometimes you need to ask your boss for a raise, right? That's what the resurrection is. You get risen, you get risen up. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I always, you know, I was raised in the in the Catholic Church and kept Jesus on the cross all the time. And he was either on the cross, stuck on the cross, or he was in his mother's arms. And I was thinking, where's the powerful Jesus that rose from the dead? That's why, you know, when the Protestant movement began, Jesus was off the cross, right? He was no longer in the cross. Now, for you and I, the, the resurrection had always been an event we just peered into. Today I want to take you into the resurrection with Jesus Christ himself. You understand, this is... The radical message of the gospel that the enemy hates and does not want you to hear this morning. He wants you to, he, the, the enemy doesn't want you to, to walk in the authority and the power. How many need a raise this morning? A man walked into his boss's office requesting a raise because he said, I have three companies pursuing me. His boss asked him, which companies? He said, the gas company. The electric company and the cable company. Anyway, come on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in human history. And I want to share this morning, based on some of the most famous quotes that were... I I was looking at the hundred most uh, favorite quotes of all time. And I'm going to be uh, butchering some of those quotes this morning. But can I tell you my favorite quote, my favorite quote of all time is from Rosa Parks, who was sitting on the bus, and the bus driver said, get in the back of the bus, and I'm going to quote Rosa Parks. No! That's my favorite quote of all time. No! Because I love it. She started a revolution through her quote. But I'm going to talk about three different quotes this morning, and it's a little out there, but anyway, i got the microphone but I want to talk to you about the importance of the resurrection to us today. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we see this this morning as we look into the scriptures that Paul says the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these are the things that we are called to remember of first importance. And when we look at these quotes today, before I put these quotes up, I want to just say this. is uh, There's a picture here It says, Don't believe everything you read on the Internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. And that's by Abraham Lincoln, so I'm just thought I'd share that with you this morning. But when we look at the quotes here, um, the first quote I want to mention is Isaac Newton, and he said, what goes down must come up. Okay, he didn't say that. But I'm going to tell you, for the resurrection, what goes down must come up. God's called you to join him, join his son Jesus Christ, come together with his crucifixion, with his death, and his burial so that you go down with him so you'll be raised up with him. The reason why many Christians haven't risen up with Jesus is because they haven't died and were buried with him in the first place. So that's part of what we're called to do here. I've been reading a book by uh, John G. Lake. It's actually some hidden writings that I'm putting into a book. This guy is dangerous. He's messing up your pastor right now in a good way. How many know your pastor needs to be messed up? Everybody's like, "Good, mess him up, Lord." I thought he was already messed up. No, this is this is really good. So John G. Lake was a healing evangelist. Uh, went to Africa. Um, literally saw thousands and thousands of people uh, healed. I don't know how many people he raised from the dead. Started healing rooms. Has anybody ever heard of healing rooms? Back in the 1900s, Spokane, Washington, and became the most a healed city, the healthiest city in the in the world. And uh, he was a man that was understood who he was. And that's my heart, is I want you to understand this is what the Bible says about you, all right? And he said this, he says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ furnishes a solution of the human problem. By the human problem, I mean man's being here. How many know it's just the problem that we're here? But the resurrection solves that problem. But if we don't understand the resurrection, if we think it was an event for us instead of something we join in with, we're going to miss out on the answer. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you, will also, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we have to identify what does it mean to be baptized in his death? What does it mean to be buried with him? If you've never been baptized before in water and immersed in water, I would encourage you, that's your next step. If you've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and you haven't been immersed in water, that is your next step. You don't need a 13-week course on it. The moment somebody gave their life to the Lord in the Bible, they said, where is water? Where is water? Get them baptized. But we identify with Christ in that baptism. And when we look into the understanding that we cannot bypass the death and burial and go right to the resurrection. And when we look at this, there's, there is, there is a, um, an identity that happens in these words uh, in, in the Bible. And it doesn't mean just... It means to be buried with... The, the prefixes in the Greek language that express nearness or next to, it's, it's a word that expresses this union. We have to be come into union with his death. We have to come into union with his burial so that we can come into union with his resurrection. Am I making any sense this morning? So if we want that power, it's also a walk of death and dying to ourselves. It's part of that. I I like, it's like marriage, you know, marriage, they say it's, it's a death walk to a life camp. That's what marriage is. But so is your relationship with Jesus. It's not about attaining the next thing. This is going to free some of you this morning. It's not about attaining the next thing. It's about learning what to let go of. And that, and how many know if you're like me, we're pretty stubborn at letting go of stuff. We hold on the grudges, we hold on the unforgiveness, we hold on to our sicknesses. And people say, well, how you doing? Well, my cancer's not doing well. I'm like, who said it was yours? Like, you want to claim that cancer? No, I don't want to claim that cancer. I'm fighting it, I'm not saying you deny the Because some, some in the faith movement go a little too far where they deny it's, it's not there. You just deny it's right to be there, you understand? I'm fighting this thing. It doesn't belong in me, and I'm telling it to go every day. So you say, how are you doing? I'm fighting this thing. You understand, we're not victims. We can't be in this mentality. What somebody did for me now is my identity. There's only one person that did something for you that should affect your identity his name is Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. What he did identifies you. And if you're holding on to stuff that other people have done for you, you've got, you got a victim card. am just going to be honest. You can say, ouch or amen, I'm just going to be truthful with you. I, I'm not here to play games. I'm here to tell you the truth because it will free you. It's so freeing to, to have this, to look at someone and say, listen, what you did to me, It was terrible, it was horrible, but what Jesus did to me is greater. You understand? I must say we don't have things we've gone through that have been hurtful. We have to work through them. But we don't stay there, stay in that place. And we have to to say, what goes down will come up. What the enemy uses against us, we're going to rise up, and we're going to become all that we are called to be. I want to give a quote by Benjamin Franklin, and this is really weird. Here we go. Early to said, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's Benjamin Franklin. All right. Put up the next slide. I think we got it. Fill in your blanks. Early to bed, early to rise makes it well. It doesn't, it's not early to bed. It's actually early to said. And to said is an abbreviation for uh, take up your cross every day. Jesus said, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So that's what to said is. All right. Is that dumb or what? That's the best I got. I'm sorry. Early to said, early to rise. If we take up our cross daily, then we can rise. If we do that, if we do that early in life, like let's not have a deathbed experience where we suddenly say, you know, I'm going to fully give my life to Jesus. Let's do it now. Let's do it early. What are you waiting for? The world is waiting for us. The next great event of the church is not Jesus' coming. It's the sons and daughters of God arising from their blindness and their graves and coming out. That's the next great event of the church. So we have to step into that, friend. We have to learn what it means to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. We went on a cruise a number of years ago, so I said, hey, take up your cruise, follow me. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, take up your cross daily. What does that mean? I had been to counselors before, and one one of my counselors said, he goes, Chris, the cross is relationships in your life those are the most difficult things to to have in life is relationships with other people I mean oh you know some people don't have relationship with people they just have a bunch of cats have a bunch of animals right is that healthy no it's not it's safe you may get scratched every once in a while but the truth is we need to learn how to work with people we need to learn how to have boundaries healthy boundaries. Can I lean into you a little bit this morning? Can I pastor you a little bit? Are you guys doing okay? (laughs) Right? So we have to say, well, how do I work with people? And guess what? We, some of us were raised by Tarzan and Jane. We don't really know how to work with people, do we? And so sometimes we need to be trained in some of these things and have a better understanding. I know I do. You know, I was raised in an alcoholic home. If, if we were mad at each other, we didn't talk to each other. We just ignored each other. I, I literally didn't talk to my brothers for years. I thought that was healthy. And then I got married to Debbie and they don't fight like that in her, her house, that not in her household. They didn't fight like that. They were in your face. So I'm like, "What are you doing?" This is not how we this is not how we fight. And if we don't fight, it's always intense fellowship. My wife and I never fight. Just intense fellowship. But you understand like it was totally different and then learning what is the healthy way to c- communicate and that's part of what Carrying your cross is daily. What's, what's your daily assignment? And it, number one, it's to pray. It's to, you, have a, you have a position to pray. You're a priest. You're praying for yourself, for your family. You're declaring the goodness of God. We have declarations and prayers based on the 10 gates of Jerusalem that are on your app that I would encourage you to do daily so that you can be thorough in your prayer time. But that's part of your responsibility John G. Lake said this, it says, if you're going to have a bona fide resurrection, it is necessary that you have an absolute death. Am I encouraging you yet today? You cannot have a genuine resurrection without a genuine death. And it's learning what that means to die to yourself. How many know living, we are called to be a living sacrifice, But you put a living sacrifice on the altar, it's always crawling off. And it's important we learn, Lord, what do you have me to die to? Sometimes we don't realize that there's there's habits that we have, there's things that we have in our life, um, attitudes, thought processes. But can I tell you an encounter with Jesus, don't get into this mindset, I'm going to change my behavior. How's that working out for you? Not very good. You have an encounter with Jesus. He changes you. He's beautiful. You see, we're walking in a season now where people are going to see Jesus and they're going to be drawn to his beauty. They're going to be like dumbstruck, like, oh, I just love him. He's beautiful. So, because what we see happening, it's learning how to identify with the cross, identify with his burial so that we can identify with his resurrection. Throughout the Bible, we can see that there was what was called, there was the firstborn of, Jesus was called the firstborn of all creation. And when we look into scriptures, the Bible has always looked at the firstborns as, as something special. They either had to be redeemed or they had to be sacrificed. If you had, you know, if you had cattle, you your firstborn. Cattle was the firstborn. It had to be sacrificed or it had to be redeemed. And so Jesus himself, we see that the principle in the Bible was the firstborns firstborns always got justice, but the secondborns always got mercy. Any firstborns in the house? You're the firstborn of your family, okay? So we talked about this on Passover. The firstborn was killed at Passover. Not the rest of the family, but the, the very firstborn. That may be good for some of your families, like, yeah, they'll get rid of him anyway. But no, but here you see, when we talk about the firstborn, they were the ones that got judged or they had to be redeemed. How many know Jesus was the firstborn of all creation? So he was the one who was judged. But then he's also called the second Adam. The second Adam is the one who also we receive mercy for. Let me show you this in scripture 1 Corinthians 15:47 and 49. It says, The first man, speaking of Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Jesus came in a physical body. His physical body was, was murdered. It was butchered. It was strangled. It was said he, he didn't even look like himself by what he went through. He came in a physical body to do something for us. But how many know that we are now the second physical body of Jesus Christ? I want to say that again because that may offend you a little bit, but think about that. You and I are the second body, the second physical body of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We're going to suffer like Jesus suffered, we're going to be persecuted like Jesus was persecuted but we're going to carry that same authority and power that the first physical body of Jesus carried. I don't know if anyone's going to get happier in there this morning or not, but I'm trying to tell you something. We are that second physical body of Jesus for the world. These truths in this nice little Methodist church here, you guys are getting a little... Out of hand this morning. All right, let me read you some John G. Lake. He said this. I think he said this. John G. Lake, when he established the second body, the church, he never intended that it should be of lesser authority or lesser power than the first. How many know the first physical body came with power? People touched him. They were healed. Jesus was walking through the crowd, and a sick person touched him. He said, ooh, power went from me. John G. Lake is saying that there's no less power that should be on the second physical body of Jesus. He says it was his real purpose that the second body, the church, should exercise and fully accomplish all that the first had done. Greater works. Now I'm challenging you this morning because your biggest enemy is not the devil. It's not your pastor. Thank you, Jesus. It's not Joe Biden or George Soros or Klaus Schwab or Bishop Fauci, whatever he is. I don't like him either. It's you. It's you. You are the problem. Now that doesn't sound very encouraging. My pastor said I'm the problem. No, this is free. Because you can't do anything about you can you can't do anything about George Soros, Joe Biden, you can do a little bit about the devil, but you if you do something about yourself because you're the biggest enemy. You beat yourself up all the time. You tell yourself you're not worthy. You tell yourself I can't do that. You tell yourself Uh, Oh, those miracles and those things that happened with Jesus. Oh, those were past. There's no way I could do those. And then when you step out trying to do them, guess what? People probably won't encourage you. They'll probably say, who do you think you are? So you understand, like, you're the biggest problem, but you can change you. You just have to believe. That's your job is to believe that. And William Shakespeare, my last quote, he said this beautifully. He says, to believe... Or not to believe—that is the question. I think he said that. First John five four and five. You guys doing okay this morning? You get something out of this? Come on, anybody want to read some of John G. Lake's writings? Isn't this good? Back when they uh, they had first invented the microscopes, John G. Lake said, "Put some of that sickness on me." And so they put some of the sickness on him. He says, now put it under a microscope. And they put it under the microscope and the sickness died when it touched his body. You understand, you and I are the second physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that blow your mind or what? In a good way? I love this scripture. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I'm going to read that again. Let's read that together. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone. Are you born of God? I'm born of God. That means I overcome. Now, what's that mean to overcome? This may take you five years. I'm not telling you this is, I'm I'm good. I'm not that good. You're probably going to not be that radically changed. If you start to believe this stuff, and start to let it meditate on, this is who I am. This is who God's called me to be. You're going to be crushed, and and there's going to be a lot of things that are disappointing to you. It's not an easy walk, because I said, every day you still got to carry your cross. You've got to crucify your flesh. A lot of Christians, t- teachers teach you that you have three parts, a body, soul, and spirit. You actually are a four-part being. You have a body, a soul, a spirit, and you have this thing called the flesh that you need to crucify every day. That's, that's your own desires, what you want. Even your, even your desire just to live and to be safe, Sometimes God will call you to the most dangerous places and talk to some of the scariest people. I remember I was in a gas station one time, and this dude, he was huge. He was gambling. He was, he was you know, getting the tickets going. And I looked at him, and I felt like the Lord told, told me to tell him. I said, bro, you should just try tithing. And I said, what did I just say? And he looked at me, and I thought, It's over. And he goes, you're right. (laughs) You know, but just crazy stuff like that. Why? Because we don't love our lives unto death. And our churches are filled. But are we really saying ouch sometimes? When I read the word of God, I just go, Lord, I want to be like your son, Jesus. I want to be able to, have the love for people that Jesus had, and the willingness to give up my very life for others. I would love to tell you I'm there, I'm not. But I hunger for that. And my desire is that. And that I would be willing to fully die to myself so that I could be fully risen with Jesus. And it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Your victory is is what you believe. Faith is a verb, not a noun. I believe that. I believe that Christ died for me. He rose from the dead for me. I believe I'm the second physical body of Jesus on this planet, along with my brothers and sisters. I believe I'm an overcomer. And what I'm facing right now yeah, it feels like the spaghetti hit the fan, but God, you're about to do something great in my life. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's read that one together. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is The Son of God. Now, can I tell you that there are many people out there, they, they say, you believe? Oh, yes, I believe in God. I believe in God. But that doesn't save you. Did you know that? Salvation comes through acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what saves you. And if you've never acknowledged Him as the Son of God and as the Lord of your life, the Bible says That through doing that, you will be saved. And faith in him is what saves you. So as we land this plane, are you guys doing okay? We're going to take communion this morning. Because I want us to step in to that death and that burial through acknowledging what Jesus did for us on the cross. And when we do that, I'm going to believe this morning that you're going to experience a resurrection in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. Jesus, the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and rose Him from the dead. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. (laughs) Right? You guys getting anything out of this this morning? Come on. John G. Lake said, Universal man has craved union with God. He has not only wanted to get rid of the sin problem and the sin burden and the sin guilt, but he wanted to be able to partake of the life and the nature of God. So, you know, being raised in more of a you know, Catholic tradition, a Baptist tradition, you know, we always said sin separates you from God. True. But did you know that separated, being separated from God causes you to sin? So being separated is the issue. It's union with God through Jesus Christ that you and I desire. You want to you conquer the sin nature in your life? Get united with Jesus Christ. His presence and His power. So we're always striving. Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be in your presence. So Romans 6, 4 says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life so these are pre these are past experience when christ died you died when christ was buried you were buried when christ rose, you rose. These are settled events that have taken place in your, wife, in your life and in your wife, hopefully. And you need to embrace those concepts, believe on them, and meditate on those very things. How I many want the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power? Yeah. Like, we can't do this without Him. But when we die and are crucified, our reputation... Can I tell you a story? We, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of ministry around here, and we're always trying to help. We really are trying to help people, but we can't help everybody. Um, I, I tell people no all the time because I have boundaries, because I have a very strong yes in my life. And uh, there are, we, we were trying to help this, this other ministry out one time, and something went wrong, and this, this, this person got super offended. I mean, unconsolable. I'm trying to help all these people. And you guys were mean to me, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that for me. And I said, listen. I said, you want to be in ministry? And he goes, yeah. And I go, listen. People will, if you're in ministry, people will always talk bad about you. And people will always misread your intentions. There will always be stuff that happens. That's just part of ministry. Like, this is a test for you. And you're failing miserably right now. Like, just get used to it. It's okay. But that's part, you understand, that's part of the death process that we go through. Okay. Because otherwise, my identity becomes in what other people think of me. And that doesn't mean I'm a jerk or nothing and I don't care at all. Like, You know, I do care. But when, it, when the rubber hits the road, it's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me that identifies. Like, I care about what my wife thinks about me, but even, even she doesn't control my identity. You understand? I love her, and I cherish her opinion of me, but at the end of the day, it has to be Jesus Christ, what he thinks of me. You understand? So, these are important things that you and I, we identify with those things. I love this quote. John G. Lake said this. He said, in our day, We have almost come to the place where the message of Christianity is morality. Most people, come on, how many people like that? You come to church, the preacher's going to try to teach me to be moral. Be nice, follow the Ten Commandments, be good. That's great. God's law is awesome. You shouldn't be a lawless person. But the reason why Jesus came was not just about morality, but Jesus Christ never wasted his time establishing mere morality. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declared immortality to be the goal of Christianity. It's attainment, the purpose of God for you and me. The goal is not morality, it's immortality. You understand?
1: manager of Gateway Hunger Relief Center and uh, I've been out here about 14 years. This has been a blessing to me and my family to be able to serve. We need your support. And the reason why we need your support is because our numbers are growing, for one thing. The need is great here in Richmond. We're able to provide fresh produce and sometimes milk and just meats and everything like that. And your donations really mean a lot to keep this program going. Uh, we also serve the seniors and we also make kiddo bags. So every child gets a bag to take home. that has got mac and cheese and drink and little snacks in there for them. And we just love being able to pass these things out and bless families. And if you love seeing your seeing families get blessed in Richmond, come donate to Gateway Hunger Relief. Shelby Jones. Hi, my name is J.D. Marker. Hi, my name is Jenny. I just love blessing the people and seeing all the smiling faces and smiling kids. I come, love coming here. It gives me something to do every day. I like to give the people God in their hearts, and I like to spread the word of God around to everybody. It's been a blessing. I've been here for 14 years, and I hope to do it for another 14. I don't know what I would do without him, really. I'd be home doing nothing. I just love being here and helping people. I like to give out food and help people. God bless everybody.
0: Times in the Bible, God Himself actually changes someone's name. We find that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. We find Jacob struggling with an angel and saying, What is your name? The Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons and places. And what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the Scriptures. And this project has taken me five years to complete, and it's called the Name Translation Bible. As a pastor, I want you to go deeper into the Word of God. And I'm giving you a tool that will save you time save you effort, and allow you to get the greatest revelation, the deepest revelation possible as you study God's Word. We look forward to you going deeper into the Word of God through the name Translation Bible. God bless.
1: die trying to stay up in the middle man That's suicide be hot or be cold what's it gonna be, let's go, let's go. be below is all I wanna see if you ain't saying nothing then you saying something what you see is what you get man I ain't never frontin'. I see your problem I'm lazy because I ain't never running Opposition passing it off because they ain't never want it. come on time to say goodbye it is you and I when you compromise it will multiply when Back to police. Say no to.
0: Most people teach that at least this is what i've i've heard that we are three-part beings we have a, a body a soul and a spirit and, it, and most of the time it looks kind of like um you know this this a circle and you know the body's on the outside and then you have the soul and deep down you have the spirit and there's there's truth to this but i don't believe that we're three-part beings, I believe that we're actually four-part beings. And I want to explain that because I think it will help us discern uh, what's going on inside of us, especially when we feel the the lure of Egypt or we feel anxiety or we don't know, is this demonic or is this, uh, is this part of my flesh? And I think you have to see yourself not as a three-part being, but as a four-part being. And let me explain that now in the greek you have these four words that i want to explain to you the first one is uh the word for body in greek it's the word soma okay and that represents your physical body now in the time that the scriptures were written um, greek philosophers often considered the body as evil they they didn't see food as enjoyable you know they even uh it, it, it infiltrated the early christian mind where um just sleep was, um, you know, an enemy and, and eating, you know, you should fast, you shouldn't eat. And, oh my gosh, sex was something that was considered, you know, dirty or, or something that as part of the body, it was something is considered evil. But in the Hebraic mindset, um, you know, food was a blessing. Sleep was a blessing. Sex was a blessing. Um, and so there was, there was this idea that the body and its desires were all bad, but that's not true. Um, there's some natural desires given within God's boundaries are beautiful. And so we don't want to clump together the body as being something evil. It's actually uh, something that's that's neutral that can be used for the glory of God or can be used for for the fleshly purposes. The second word we want to talk about is the word for flesh. And it's the Greek word sarx. And this represents the unredeemed part of you That is to be crucified with Christ. And um, we'll talk more about that because this is a lot of times there's a confusion between what's your body and what's your flesh. And a lot of times those words are interchanged in the Greek text. But um, for this teaching, I really want to separate what your body is and what your flesh is because your flesh is not your body. Your flesh represents a sinful nature something that was crucified when christ died on the cross you died with him and you died with him in that fleshly area the word for soul uh, is is the greek word suke, which is where we get like psychology and your soul you know is is your emotions it's your will um it's your intellect and that is what is continually being renewed by the word of god and then the fourth word that we wanna talk about is your spirit, which in the Greek is the word pneuma. Um, Also in the Hebrew, it's ruach. And the spirit is where um, what has been fully purchased by the blood of Jesus. This is where your spirit has been completely renewed um, through accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord. And he gives you become a new creation. You get a, a new spirit, a new heart, but your soul is what is continually being renewed by the choices that you make, by the word of God, you put yourself in front of uh, something good. Then you will be changed in a good way. If you put yourself, put your eyes on something that is uh, unclean, then you will you will be made unclean. So it's important that we recognize um, the difference here. So as I look at this again, I want you to see yourself as a four part being. You have a body, you have a soul. You have a spirit and you have the flesh. Okay. Have you ever heard somebody when they're, you know, angry or going off on something say, oh my gosh, they're in the flesh. That's in opposition to the spiritual nature in your life. And this is going to be in your, in your worksheet or your book, whatever's before you, your body, which is your physical body must be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, You know how you eat, how you live, um, what, where you go, what you touch. Um, and it's governed by the five physical senses, you know, sight, hearing, smell, uh, touch in, um, I think I missed one sight or something, smell something. So, um, we also see that you have your soul must be renewed. And this again is your mind, your will, and your emotions and your soul is what needs to be renewed in Christ. So your soul is renewed through prayer, through worship through, uh, you know, meditating on the goodness of God, through soaking and worship, um, hanging out with godly people who love Jesus. You know, come on. That's how your soul is renewed. Then you also have your spirit, and your spirit is what has been raised in Christ. It's been resurrected, filled with power. But then there's that fourth part of you that most people don't talk about, and that's your fleshly nature. And we need to identify Uh, that our flesh sometimes can be driving our lives. And I want to show you a little bit different of a picture here than, you know, maybe what you have uh, seen before. So in this, I've created a a diagram here that might help you. And if we look at this um, triangle here, it represents, you know, outside is your body. This is, you know, outside you see there is Sight, sound, touch, smell, and hearing. Okay, the five senses. And outside of the triangle is uh, the physical realm. And this is where you, know, you see, you hear, you're receiving information, and um, you're also investing in your, in your physical realm. And this is uh, the very next thing that we see is then we talk about the soul, and that's inside of us. And what the soul contains here is our, you know, knowledge, emotions, our will, our mind, and our soul is continually being renewed by the Word of God, or it can be being being made um, unrenewed be, through things of the world. So the choices that we make determine whether our soul is healthy and strong. Or whether it's it's weak and compromised because in our soul we have what's called the will and sometimes if our will is not strong enough we make some very bad decisions and when we um, are being governed by the flesh it actually wounds our soul or we go through something traumatic Uh, we can be wounded in our own soul and that's where we need to be open to the things of the spirit we're inviting Good things, making good choices so that our soul is healthy, our emotions are healthy, our will is strong, and our mind is strong. And that's our choice. You know, uh, David prays, you know, he says he restores my soul. It talks about, you know, do not be conformed to the world, but be renewed in your mind. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans, chapter 12. So we have to be the ones who are renewing our minds. And as a follower of Christ, you know, your that's your job it's to to renew yourself it's your job to restore yourself it's your job to, to open your to make decisions that are inviting uh good things to to renew your mind and to fill your mind now let's go on and we want to talk about now is the third thing we talked about the body the soul and the spirit is the third thing that we want to talk about and in the spirit here is wisdom and wisdom is is when we talk, you might not be able to see the, the bottom part, but this is where um, Christ has renewed us. And the spirit contains wisdom that, you know, Christ is wisdom. And this is how we are allowing the kingdom of God to flow through us when we're operating in the spirit. And then it goes on to say, we go on to say the fourth thing is the flesh. And the flesh is where a lot of um Both non-Christian, well, every person who's not a Christian is operating in the flesh. Um, And, you know, some people have, uh, they may not realize they're operating in the flesh, but until you're able to operate in the spirit and be led by the spirit, then you're being governed by the fleshly nature. And there's two natures that are in opposition. And I want to just share with you a scripture uh, from the book of Romans. So we have this um, picture and I'll show you here um, is you can see that there's this little kind of notch there. Uh, If you can imagine that what happens before you come to Christ, that you are actually your spirit man is closed off. Your spirit cannot be open to the Lord that is closed off. And the moment you accept Christ, what happens is it's almost like, It's a doorway that swings over and closes off your flesh. When you're living according to the spirit, you're not living according to the flesh. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a a moment. Um, I'm going to move to the next slide. It says this in Galatian, Paul says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let's take a look at this picture here. And this is a picture of someone, like I said, who is who is who is living right in the flesh. And if you're living in the flesh, what happens is, is your spirit, man, is completely closed off. That door is keeping the, the, the Spirit from moving in your life. And Paul warns us about what it means to live in the flesh. And when we living living in the flesh or we're living in folly, the kingdom of darkness then begins to flow through our lives. And even as a Christian, you can still be operating in the flesh. You can still have those that fleshly door open, triggered open. And instead of walking in the spirit again, we access Um, the fruit of the Spirit through humility and dependence on God. And there can still be unredeemed areas in our soul that cause us to still walk in the fleshly nature. Because there's two natures. There's the spiritual nature, and there's the fleshly or the sinful nature. And we are called to put that sinful nature to death by the Spirit. We're dead to sin. We recognize that through the cross, Jesus Christ, on that cross, we identify with his death so that we can be buried with him, and we, in our spirit, man, we can be raised up with him. Paul talks about the works of the flesh, and he always sa- he says this, he said, now the works of the flesh are evident, and then he goes on to describe them. I always think that's funny if he says, if they're obvious, then we shouldn't have to talk about them, but he does anyway. And he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensu- sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god and what he's saying is that when we are operating in the flesh that these are the works of the flesh and he's teaching us how we can be free from being controlled by the fleshly desires and I love this picture. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. And in our diagram, we can see what will take place is that again, it's, it's like a doorway. I, I like to even use the, the analogy of uh, what happens when you eat food and breathe air. And there's this, there's this little thing called your epiglottis that you have inside of your uh, you know, neck area here that when you swallow food, what happens is, is the epiglottis then closes up your lungs so food doesn't go into your lungs. But when you take a, a breath, the epiglottis then goes over and it covers up your stomach so air goes down into your lungs instead of air going into your stomach and this epiglottis is going back and forth if food's going in then it the lung is covered if air is going in then the um then the the uh the stomach will be covered and it's it's a picture of this little thing that's back and forth that's either covering the stomach or it's covering the lungs and it's the same idea we have here if we are living in the spirit then what happens is is that our fleshly nature is shut off this This area is is closed off. If we're living by the spirit, we can't be living in the flesh. But if we're living in the flesh, then our spirit man is then closed off and we can no longer live in the spirit. So how do we overcome these works of the flesh? The Bible tells us live by the spirit. Uh, What is the spirit? And And he says about the spirit, he says, but what is the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against these things there is no law that which basically means you have the only you know the the law of love it's it's like if you if you're loving people and loving god there's no laws because you fulfilled it all in love and he said those who belong to christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So if we look at this picture, that fourth, again, there's four parts. We have a body that needs to be submitted to the Lord. Uh, we have a soul which we need to have renewed and restored uh, through uh, submitting ourselves and, and disciplining ourselves in, in hearing the word, studying the word, um, putting ourselves around godly people and you know, to the best that we can and living a life of good thoughts. And then living by the spirit. And when the spirit man's open, it's almost like the power of heaven and the breath of heaven just breathes through our soul and our physical bodies. We're healthy. We're whole. We're thinking right. We have a, our will is strong. Our emotions are healthy. um, And our, and our mind is set on him and we're thinking good thoughts. But man, when that fleshly door is open, it's almost like the stench of hell then begins to come into our mindset, anxiety and fear and um, hatred, murder, all the terrible things of the flesh, envy, jealousy, anxiety, because we're not in the spirit. And again, if we're living by the spirit, our flesh man will be closed. But if we're not, if we're in the flesh, then our spirit man will be closed. And then what happens is we, we get sick in our minds, we're sick in our bodies, our relationships are breaking down, because that's what happens when we're not living by the spirit. We need to walk in the spirit so we don't walk according to the flesh. And this is a, a powerful principle that we must identify. Yeah, this is because sometimes I will feel my flesh begin to rise up uh, in certain situations. And I will go, oh, that's my flesh. And so immediately I'm thinking, I got to get into the spirit so that my flesh door is closed. And sometimes I'll feel, you know, the pounding on the flesh. You know, there's something there like, let me in, let me in. And I'm like, son, I'm praying in the spirit. I'm trying to stay in the spirit and I'm trying to get into the presence of God and stay in the presence of God. Because like you and I, um, you know, we all are made of flesh and blood and we have got to, you know, get into the spirit. You know, I bleed just like everyone else. And there's times and situations where I know my flesh, that door is like being pushed at. And I know I have to resist but it's not resisting against the flesh. It's just um, surrendering to the spirit.